Welcome back to another episode of the Mouth of the South podcast. I am your host, Darian Gray, and as the title may suggest, I am the Mouth of the South. And thank you guys for going on this journey with me today's special. I have a guy on here who I've been waiting and anticipating to do this episode with since we set it up. And that guy is Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints and co-managing editor of Canal Street Chronicles. I'm so excited, man. Without further ado, let's get to it. So as I promised, I have Ross Jackson here with me. And I told him before we got on the show that we're going to have a little bit of fun. So let's start it off light before we get into the New Orleans Saints. So I want to play a little game. Overrated or underrated? Ooh, okay. Okay. Some of it's going to be Saints. Some of it's not going to be Saints. You don't have to explain if you don't want to. If you want to elaborate, then you can. But let's start it off with the Saints. Right. Passes 20 or more yards down the field? Uh, overrated. Drafting best player available over position of need? I'll probably say underrated for that one. Okay. Um, movie sequels. Oh, well, okay, hold up now. It depends upon what movie sequel we're talking about, right? Uh, all right, so I'm going to say I'm going to say overrated. I'm going to say overrated because there are more bad ones than there is any business necessary, right? Like we don't need this many bad like Home Alone 3, get out of here. Like <laughs> we don't need this many bad sequels. You know what I'm saying? So if they were underrated, then that would probably mean that there should be more. There should be fewer sequels. We should stop. Trolls 2, there was no need for that. Okay. Home Alone 3, there was no need for that, right? I'm with so, you. yeah, I'm, I'm going to say you. I'm going to say overrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, recently, you moved from the full beard to the goatee. I also made that move last year. It was a big deal for me. I don't know if it was a big deal for you. So, I'm going to ask this. My man, absolutely. Facial hair. Overrated or underrated? Underrated. Mad underrated. I agree. Mad oh. underrated. I agree. Because oh. even though even though I took yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I even though I reduced a little bit, I didn't get rid of it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because if I got rid of it, that first of all, y'all don't want to see me like that. Y'all don't need to see me like that. Secondly, it's it's it the, the versatility. You understand? The versatility of what you can do with facial hair is mad underrated. Yeah, I'm going underrated. Only people who think only people who think facial hair is Overrated are people without facial hair. Let's bring, let's bring it back to the Saints. Booyah. Cam Jordan's lack of sacks this year. Um, I would say okay, Cam Jordan's lack of sacks this year, the reaction to it is bigger than it needs to be. So I guess I would say overrated. I agree. Right? Okay. I agree that would constitute as an overrated. Um, And then last one, let's have a little fun. Saying goodbye to your city. Oh, mad underrated. Now, I'm going to tell you specifically why. Because Anthony Davis still ain't said thank you to New Orleans yet. Yeah. That's why. I'm on this podcast before Anthony Davis said thank you to New Orleans. It's not right. This it's is true. Right. And you know what I'm saying? Uh, Anthony Davis should have been thanked New Orleans. It should have happened already. It did not happen. I know some people will try to, like, mint some of the words, and they're like, oh, no, but he said thank you to Pelican's organization. That's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. I'm talking about the city. The city is what matters. Therefore, it is underrated. People need to do it more. Anthony, you're gonna be talking to you. <laughs> now let's get Directly into let's get into something, man. You've described the Locked On HBCU podcast as your baby, and as a TSU graduate, the real TSU Texas Southern. I appreciate that. So, what makes this yeah. podcast important to you? You about the HBCU podcast? Yes. Man, listen. Um, 
I think that there are a lot of there is a lot more coverage of HBCU today than there was a year ago. I, I will a thousand percent acknowledge that, but I do think that a lot of it is disingenuous. I think that people look at it as a market that they can leap into, as opposed to the true understanding of why HBCU sports and culture are important and why they are foundational to some of the most important and impactful members of our society today. HBCU culture is remarkable. It's remarkable. There's nothing like it. We're talking about a culture whose main culture when it comes to going to sports games, right? Whether it be football, mostly football, but the main culture of like HBCU athletics goers are fans of the bands like there's just nothing better than hbcu culture to me and even though i myself didn't was not fortunate enough to be able to go to an hbcu i as a black person and as a black man uh in, in my own experience because I, I would never speak on behalf of uh, uh black women but as a black man for me it is very very important the hbcu that hbcus get coverage that actually know fully in depth what it is that the HBCU culture experience, HBCU sports, all of it, what it equates. So that's why it's important to me. Uh, we're in, we are in the midst of planning a whole bunch of stuff for that show moving forward to make sure that we are ingrained in the population of the people as opposed to just putting them on television for our own profit, which is what you're seeing a lot of right now when it comes to the national coverage of HBCUs. And that's greatly appreciated. Always. I say that as a graduate from an HBCU, that is greatly mm -hmm. appreciated. So moving into the New Orleans Saints, it's fresh. The Saints have been through a lot already in this already short season. But through four weeks, who are the New Orleans Saints? The New Orleans Saints right now through the first quarter of the season are a team that is still trying to figure out who they are. They are probably they're not the like remember when Jackie Chan woke up and who am I and he yelled who am I? <laughs> he's probably not like that. You know, he's he's about 25 minutes into the film to where like things are starting to click and he's like understanding the situation that he's in. He's like self-aware of his situation. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's kind of where the New Orleans Saints are to me. They don't know exactly who they are yet because they don't have all their facilities available. No Michael Thomas, David Onyemata, Eric McCoy, Tron Armstead, all the injuries that they're dealing with. First year quarterback, uh, first year pairing of this quarterback and the actual offensive system as opposed to him training as a backup quarterback, all of those things. So I think that they are self-aware and they understand the situation that they are in. And now they're just working on finding out what that identity is. As they move on through the second quarter of the season. So you mentioned all of the people who are gone. What do the Saints look like offensively? Because most of those guys are offensive players, both linemen and skill positions. What do the Saints look like when they return in your prediction? I think that they become a team that doesn't necessarily change full throttle away from being a team that wants to run the ball on the offensive side. Right now, the New Orleans Saints are pretty heavy when it comes to the run. Um, it's a pretty even balance, but in the NFL today, an even balance means run heavy, right? Because usually you're talking about like somewhere around like 60-40 split in favor of the pass. Well, the Saints are basically a 53%, 47% split with 53 being run. So they are more of a run-heavy team in that they are balanced. And so I think that that doesn't change. I think that's still always what Sean Payton wanted. I mean, you look back at the 2011 team, you look back at the four years of playoffs, 
playoff runs that the Saints just went on, they have been a team that has leaned in on its run game, even when they're throwing, you know, 140 some odd passes to a single wide receiver during the season. <laughs> so, I, so I do think that like they, they, the volume and the execution in the passing game gets better, right? In terms of it gets greater in terms of volume and the efficiency gets greater as well. So the quality of those targets picks up when you have a Michael Thomas that you can throw to on second and short on third and short, those type of situations. But I don't think that they get away from the balance in a hurry. So with all of those missing pieces, it's kind of affected me personally. I thought that New Orleans would be one of the best places for whatever quarterback came out in last free agency, draft, all of those things. I thought that because they had Michael Thomas, they have one of the best offensive lines, and they have Sean right. Payton. But right now they don't have Michael Thomas. They're missing two big parts of their offensive line. So I ask you, is it even capable or a possibility to fairly evaluate Jameis Winston today. Um, I it, it's it's interesting, right? Because I think you can go two ways with this. You can say that hey, he is subject to the circumstances that are around him, so you have to evaluate him in that vacuum. To where you say, all right, how is he maintaining when he has less than two and a half seconds to throw? How is he? Uh, when he does have more than that time to throw, and he is able to progress through his reads and things like that. So the the issue is that sometimes it's easy to say, oh, well, he has all of these things that are missing around him. Therefore, when he does bad, it's excusable. When he does well, then it's it's a triumph. And I don't think that that's incorrect. But I think if you strip all of that away and you do more traits-based scouting, you should feel pretty positive around Jameis Winston. I, I think that you've seen two three throws this season to where he was you know wrapped up by a defender and he tried to get the ball out you want to get that out of any quarterback system not just Jameis Winston system you want to get that out of anybody's system that is not a good throw to make but you look at his ability to create uh the pocket mobility that I know I tried to preview as much as I could before he became the starting quarterback but you can't really help people understand it until they see it you're seeing it um and then, of course, you know, the beautiful downfield passing, that's all there. So I think that if you look at him based on his traits, he's probably performing better than the folks that didn't want him to be the starting quarterback did expect. I mean, he's responsible for 11 touchdowns, which includes the rushing touchdown. But just in the passing game, he's got 10 touchdowns and two interceptions. It's a pretty good place to be four games of the season. Yeah, you got to understand about that pass where he's wrapped up. That's God's plan. You can't argue with God's plan. That's the, God's the sooner plan. you and Sean understand that, <laughs> the sooner you will respect Jameis Winston as the gunslinger that he is. Um, <laughs> but speaking of Sean and respect, I think a big question around not just Saints Twitter, but Saints media is, does Sean Payton trust Jameis Winston? Yeah, this is a great question, and I'm glad that this is – so that we have the opportunity to really talk about in depth, because I think that there's a general conflation and this happens all the time. This is not unique to the situation. There's a general conflation between trust and familiarity. I think mm. that there's this expectation that because Jameis Winston was on this team last year, that Sean Payton knows everything he needs to know about, him, which just isn't true because you don't get to evaluate a quarterback fully until they're in your system. Even when you're, you're doing sort of draft scouting and all of that, you look at the traits to see, do they have the traits to fit into the system, which clearly they believed, and this started with Terry Fontenot as well, before the 2020 season when they brought him in, they believed that he had traits available to him if they could get the decision-making, if they could get 
the God's plan version of Jameis Winston, you know, yes. uh, out of there. Then, then, uh, or at least out of him, right? To where he's he at least has the divine intervention as opposed to uh, the bad luck. Yes. Then I think that you know they looked at him and they said, okay, he has the he has the traits, right? So when when I look at what Sean Payton and Jameis Winston are doing right now, if Sean Payton didn't trust Jameis Winston, he wouldn't be on the field, right? Aldrich Rosas is no longer on this team. The Saints went through 11 kickers in 11 weeks, not really, but you know what I mean? Like before Still they found like Will Lutz, they went through, it felt like a, a kicker a week before they, you know, before they landed on Will Lutz. It, it, there is no, Sean Payton does not trust this player, but he's out on the field anyway. That doesn't exist in the in this team. And so for me, there's a clear delineation and a careful delineation that has to be made between lack of familiarity versus lack of trust. And I think if you look at this, and it's not just between Sean Payton and James Winston, right? It's Sean Payton and the lack of, excuse me. It, well, I, I guess that's true. It's Sean Payton and the lack of familiarity of what this offense is right now due to all the injuries around when you're down your top two wide receivers, you're down two of your five offensive linemen, and one of them is playing out of position right now. So you're really down three of your five starting offensive linemen in terms of what that unit is supposed to look like. You have young tight ends all over. You went from having a very experienced tight end room to having a very young tight end room. Even the veteran tight end that you signed is injured in uh, Nick Vennett, and so he's not able to be around. So I look at all of that, and all of that to me screams unfamiliarity more than it screams distrust. In the midst of you saying this, one, I thought the difference between lack of trust and lack of familiarity was a great point. Second thing I realized is that we went from Aldrick to Cody Doubledoink. Not quite sure if that's a lateral or a vertical move or not. And then lastly, right. I can't believe this, but it, it just made me realize Adam Troutman has been so disappointing this year that I think Saints fans would take back Jared Cook. You know, it's so funny. Before the season started, one of the things that I mentioned was that people are going to miss Jerry Cook this year. And I got reamed for it. I got reamed by my by my co-host. I got reamed by, you know, people that were watching and all this other stuff. But, look, the, the expectations on Adam Trotman were unfair over the coming into the season. He is a second-year tight end, practically a first-year tight end as a starter, right, who earned his snaps on the field last year, not in the receiving game, but as a blocker, it takes time. It's one of the hardest positions to adjust to from college to the NFL. It takes time for it to happen. Yeah, every now and then you get a Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, even George Kittle struggled early. So every now and then you get these players that can come in and have these phenomenal rookie seasons. Rob Gronkowski, for instance. You don't get that a lot. Jimmy Graham was not that, right? That took time to get to that point. And Adam Troutman, it's going to take time to get to that point. And, you know, I keep trying to remind people, too, that we are four games in, into the season, so we haven't seen anyone's finished product yet. We haven't seen the final form of anybody, if I can make a Dragon Ball Z reference here. <laughs> My so brother will love that, that. That becomes a big part of it, right? <laughs> that becomes a big part of it, right? It, is, it, is it disappointing altogether, or is his performance just not what the high expectations were expecting? Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. I have a question that another prediction, so to speak. We know Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith are likely to come back in two weeks after the bye week. Mm -hmm. Well, that will mean that Chris Hogan and Kenny Stills will be fighting it out for the sixth wide receiver spot. First off, do you think they keep six? And if they do, who gets it? I'll be honest with you. My expectation for that is that if Kenny Stills sticks around, then Chris Hogan is a free agent and Will Jordan Humphreys on the practice squad. Okay. That is that would be my prediction there is that they would keep five 
And if they keep Kenny Stills, it's because they want him on the roster, right? Like right now, they can't elevate him again. They have to move him to the roster. So in order for him to stick around, unless he's going to stick around on the practice squad, in order for him to stick around, they have to elevate him. And they're not just going to elevate him to not put him on the field, right? Especially what, what you've seen these past two weeks. I mean, this guy came back after the 2014 season when they traded him away. And the very first week, he played 29 snaps and was targeted a ton and or targeted a couple of times and got a deep shot in the end zone. Second week, same thing, right? Same story. So they clearly like what he brings to this offense. So if he's going to stick around, it's because he's going to be in, in the game. And so far, we've seen that that really impacts little Jordan Humphrey more than anybody else. And if one of the big things that Chris Hogan brings you as a possession receiver, a guy with good hands, he has the highest uh, passer rating when targeted amongst all the Saints wide receivers, even though he's not targeted very much. And he gives you a good blocker, both of which are Trey Quan Smith as well. Okay. Last question on the offense until we move into the defense. Alvin Kamara has been used more in the running game than ever and less in the passing game than ever. It's quite a switch, but what do you make of Sean Payton's new usage of AK this year? Yeah, it's part of the familiarity, unfamiliarity conversation because what is the one piece that is on this lineup right now that lines up every single Sunday that Sean Payton is familiar with? AK. It's Alvin Kamara. It's Alvin Kamara. And so it's Alvin Kamara and it's, you know, two thirds of his offensive line. <laughs> so, you know, it, it makes sense that they would lean to lean in on Alvin Kamara earlier on in the season. A lot of us expected that to be the case going into this. It's why they have that 53% run rate, which they're going up against the Washington football team coming up. And they're at like 36% just as a comparison for another team around the NFL. So they are very run heavy. And it makes sense because Alvin Kamara is the one that they're most familiar with. Now, he hasn't been as involved in the passing game because we had, you know, 10 targets through the first three games, which isn't terrible. And then in the fourth game, he wasn't targeted at all. So that effectively took one game's worth of targets away from him. Right. So that that is to be considered. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Tony Jones Jr. got hurt and had to be carted off the field. He'll be out for three or four weeks or so. And so that meant that those carries went to Alvin Kamara. So he now two weeks in a row has set a career high for himself in carries so far. So I think that, you know, that to me is is very likely why you're seeing Alvin Kamara get so much attention, because he is the most familiar piece on this offense. And he, from the very beginning, was going to be the guy until Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith and, you know, these folks that are more familiar and that do have established roles in the offense until they come back, he was the one that this offense was always going to go through. I agree with that. Transitioning into the defense, I'm treating New York's performance as a one-off where they just had a bad game. But my sources right now are telling me that Daniel Jones is still standing in the pocket as we speak. Taylor Heineke cannot have the same amount of time as Daniel Jones did last week. What do the Saints need to do to get pressure or manufacture it if it's not with the front four? What do they need to do to get pressure this week? Yeah, I think I think the thing that will help them get pressure has to be a creative defensive game plan. So I think that a part of that has to be, I mean, you saw a couple of a couple of pressures from Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan got most of his pressures on stunts in this game against the New York Giants. One of them was very clear when he got right up the middle, uh, which was one of the few pressures that we really registered and saw during the second half. So I think more of the stunts and a little bit more of the sort of like exotic blitz looks will help. The Saints tend to blitz on third down, but their approach is pretty 
pretty standard, right? Three down linemen, two linebackers that are sugaring the A gap, and then one safety on either side between Malcolm Jenkins and CJ Garner Johnson. Usually, there's seven up against the offensive line, and then usually two drop back, five rush, or three drop back, four rush, and it's some you know different combination of linebackers and safeties that end up blitzing versus dropping back in coverage. Sometimes a lineman drops back in coverage. So I think that instead of spreading out that seven over the course of you know, a, a symmetrical look over the course of the offensive line, starting to overload one side, starting to, you know, generate pressure from one side to force a quarterback to roll the area where you're strongest on defense or, you know, where there are fewer receiver options or so on. It's where like against the play flow effectively. I think those types of plays are on the way over on the defensive side, which should help them generate some pressure. Um, and then also being able to continue to use Demario Davis up the middle, uh, and, and as a pass rusher helps to g- usually free up some of these other defensive linemen to be able to get into the uh, get into the backfield. And coverage and pressure are directly correlated, directly responsible mm-hmm. for each other often. So a guy who struggled in covers last week was rookie Paulson Adebo, but he's shown the ability to bounce back mid-game. So I would think that he would be able to do that post-game as well going into the next week. How does he bounce back from that performance, which is really his first bad game as a pro? Yeah. Yeah, this is where the evaluation of Paulson and Debo gets really, gets a lot of information. This is where you get a lot of information. He had a bad performance. According to Pro Football Focus, he was, uh, he, his coverage accounted for 168 receiving yards and a touchdown. 80 of those coming in man coverage, 88 of them coming in zone coverage. So, you can't point to one and say, oh, well, you know, he's weaker in this. No, he even where he's strongest, which is in man coverage, he struggled. And a lot of that had to do with good defensive, excuse me, good offensive adjustments in terms of play calling by, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Jason Garrett and, uh, uh, and the New York Giants. That pains me so much. Um, but it was good. I mean, they did a good job, you know, calling up the man beaters, the crossing routes, the mesh concepts, you know, things that force these corners into really tough positions, having to trail a receiver all the way across the field. That's tough. And so they did a really good job calling those up, dialing those up at the right time. So I think that this is where Paulson and Debo's evaluation, you get a lot of information and becomes very important because if you can bounce back from this, then I think the confidence question mark that was around Paulson and Debo after not playing in 2020, after opting out of his final season of college football and in his 2019 ending on an ankle injury, this gives you a good idea of where his confidence level really is. And especially with the Washington football team who are not without talent at the wide receiver spot. Okay, so Adebo was joined by two other players who were really playing big minutes. They had some, or big minutes, I'm talking like it's basketball, but having a lot of snaps. (laughs) Um, And that is Pete Werner and Peyton Turner. So between these three rookies so far, who has been the most encouraging and who has been the most surprising? Could be the same guy. Yeah, it it very well could be Paulson Adebo because Paulson Adebo's situation was so unique, right? They traded up for him in the third round, didn't play at all in 2020, had that ankle injury in 2019. So it was nearly a full two two years, excuse me, by the time that we actually saw him on the field from November of 2019 to September of 2020. So I do think that he was surprising, but I'll tell you, Peyton Turner has not been without his surprises. He looked really good in his first action in week two. Um, you know, unfortunately, he had to leave that Giants game with an injury, but it seems everything's OK. He wasn't on the injury report. He hasn't been moved to injured reserve that I've seen so far. So I think that, you know, he obviously has been very um, impressive. And Pete Werner had himself a fantastic game 
against the Giants. I just want to see it repeated, right? You want to see it again. And so I think one more of those performances, and maybe Pete Werner is in there, but I still think Paulson Adibo, despite his downplay in last week's game, I think is still the most surprising and impressive of the three of those three top defensive rookies the Saints took this year. Okay. I, I can respect it. I ain't gonna lie. I did not expect Pete Warner to come out and lead the team in tackles um after his second mm-hmm. game. So that was extremely surprising. But I also didn't expect Paulson Debo to pick off the reigning MVP. So it really goes <laughs> depending on how you want to put it. So um three and two much different than two and three, especially going into the bye week and a gauntlet of games afterwards. Is this a must-win uh, game for the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, I think it's as much a must-win as you can perceive this early in the season, right? I think there's the hindsight question later on down the line. If you dropped, you know, you've now dropped two games to NFC opponents that could come in, you know, and then if you drop a third, that could come in to handy or, or, or potentially create some trouble in tiebreaker situations, but we can't know that right now. So I would say that it's as much a win, a, a, a must win right now as it can be. Um, look, I had the saints going two and three out of these first five at the beginning of the season, but I had the losses to uh, the Packers, to the Patriots and to the Washington football team. Now, and now they've won both of the games that I expected them to, to lose, and they've lost both the games that I expected them to win. So we'll see what happens. They might actually walk out of that three and two by that road. But I do think that that's helpful because, as you mentioned, it's a very tough seven-game stretch after that, after that bye week, including you know the, the trip to Seattle. You have the short weeks where you're hosting Buffalo on Thanksgiving Day. Then you have the very next Thursday game, which is always kind of a weird schedule to adjust to with the Cowboys game right after that. And then you have, you know, trips that you've taken in the recent past and lost in, in, in Philadelphia and other games. So I think that, you know, you, you have all of these tough matchups that are out there. So I think that you want to protect yourself by having the best record possible as you can get going into the bye week, especially knowing that your team's going to be very different at some point after the bye week within the first couple of games after the bye week. So I, I do think that this is a very important game for the Saints and they would be tremendously helped with a win. So let's go into this game full force now, focus on strictly New Orleans versus Washington. What are three matchups that you are looking forward to see seeing in this game? Sure. I got to start with the Buckeyes. Right. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore versus Terry McLaurin. This is a going to be a fantastic matchup that I'm very, very excited about. Terry McLaurin in his draft year was probably my favorite wide receiver coming in. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore was the best, one of the best corners. I think you have to throw Tredavious White in there to come out of 2017. And so to see these two go at one another, former teammates, um, that's going to be a ton of fun. So I'm very much looking forward to that matchup. And, it, and it's an important matchup, too, because last week against the Giants, the Giants were without their what people would call wide receiver two and wide receiver three, even though Sterling Shepard was actually the leading wide receiver Darius Slayton was their third leading wide receiver, but their X receiver, the the main guy, wide receiver one, was is Kenny Galladay, and he was still out there. And so for the Washington football team, who right now is dealing with injuries to Cam Sims, they're dealing with injuries to Diami Brown, the rookie that they got this year out of North Carolina. They're dealing with an injury to Curtis Samuel, who actually just came back from injury, but now it seems like he's re-aggravated and trying to figure out what's going to happen. He was present at practice today for the Washington football team, but he was mostly on the sidelines. It's very similar to what the Saints 
struggled against last week to where the number one guy is there, but then two and three could potentially be out. So keeping Terry McLaurin under wraps is going to be very important for the saints and it's not going to be easy. And Marshawn Lattimore just got a big contract. This is what they pay him for. So that's one. Um, and then to get a little bit shorter for you, uh, the other oh, two ahead. are going to be, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, the other two are going to be the saints offensive line versus the Washington football team defensive line. I know it's not a specific player to player matchup, but just more unit to unit. Um, the Saints are going to be on the road here, so they're probably going to run. I mean, that's what they usually do, right? They do the outdoor run, outdoor away games. They they live on the ground, and they try to win with defense. And they've done it successfully. They've become a team that has, be, has been actually pretty good on the road after notoriously being much better at home. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that the protection for Jameis Winston, obviously very important. The protection for Alvin Kamara, so Alvin Kamara doesn't have to create entirely on his own, even though he will, um, very important. So I think that O-line and the trenches, all of that becomes big. And then for the Saints, I'm really interested to see Taysom Hill versus the, uh, whether it be the safeties, the linebackers, whoever, when Taysom Hill goes out and runs routes. If you look at last week, Cordero Patterson for the Atlanta Falcons was moved all over the formation as a receiver out the backfield in line, they use them all over the place. You could do the same thing with Taysom Hill. For whatever reason, the Washington football team defense really struggled to keep tabs on where Cordero Patterson went and who was guarding him and getting the right matchup there. So Atlanta won the matchups game by utilizing their chess piece. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints look to do the same thing and Sean Payton try to win the chess game with his chess piece, which would be taking advantage of the matchups with Taysom Hill. So I'll be very interested to see that. Um, so that would be my third matchup that I'll be watching. There's going to be a lot of people who aren't happy about that matchup. A lot of people who are not happy to see Taysom Hill heavily in the um, game plan. I, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those last week. It felt like it was a heavy Taysom day. And for the most part, other than the play that we shall not speak of, a.k.a. the toe, <laughs> the toe stub, other than that play, it all worked out. So I am yeah. interested. And, and I do. And I Go do. ahead. Yeah. And I, I do want to clarify, I, I think that, you know, you, you saw Jameis Winston only play 88% of quarterback snaps last week, which is not enough. Um, and that's taking him off the field too much at the quarterback position. My biggest thing that I'm looking at is where you line up Taysom Hill as a skill position player to take advantage of matchups and coverage. That is, to me, what's the, the, the sort of selling point for me for Taysom Hill is how do you get him involved and active against this Washington football team defense as a runner or as a receiver, more importantly? That's an inver- that's a very important distinction in between the two. Yes, <laughs> Taysom had three passes last week. We're looking to bring that number down. That's already low. Bring it down some more. So let's look into number two. Two storylines to watch for in this week's game. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with this. Uh, this is really intriguing. Both of these quarterbacks for the starting quarterbacks for the Washington football team and the New Orleans Saints. So this is a storyline I'm really interested in. They don't directly correlate with one another, but they're interesting to watch because I like when you get intriguing quarterback matchups. You have a guy in Jameis Winston who was the number one overall selection that had a team that effectively gave up on him, the team that drafted him, and moved on from him and brought in, you know, Tom Brady. And then, you know, he ends up in New Orleans, effectively being the third quarterback on the roster throughout his 2020 season, going to what he called the quote unquote Harvard of quarterbacking in New Orleans, working with Pete Carmichael, Sean Payton, Drew Brees. And then now, you know, went through a 
quarterback battle with an undrafted free agent who saw his first NFL snap as a special teamer in punt coverage. <laughs> Jameis Winston has been humbled quite a bit to go from number one overall selection to not sticking with the team that drafted you to having to, to, to being engaged in a legitimate quarterback battle with a player like Taysom Hill. And that's not the take away from Taysom Hill because Taysom Hill deserves credit for being in that quarterback battle because of where he began in the NFL. But that is very humbling for a guy like Jameis Winston, who was the top selection. On the other side, you've got Taylor Heineke, who had been sleeping on his sister's couch, had been saying, you know, walking his dog with a 60-pound vest so that he could stay in shape because he wasn't able to get to an NFL facility because he wasn't landing with teams. Coming out of ODU, all the places, all the things that he went through as well to get to the NFL, gets to the NFL last year, gets the opportunity to start, has this great game and these great moments early on and then kind of te you know peters off a little bit throughout to the point in which the team that could have utilized him as a starter going into 2021, the Washington football team goes out and they sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and then they bring him in. So, and now Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt and then all of a sudden Taylor Heineke is your starter again. It's a remarkable story that he's in the NFL at all and that he performs as well as he does because he's, he's a good quarterback. And he's an annoying quarterback. He's one of those guys that can, you know, escape and run and do all the things that drive Saints fans nuts about, you know, young quarterbacks that, they, that you don't expect can run. So that that storyline between the two quarterbacks is really inter interesting and intriguing to me. And then the other storyline is going to be this whole storyline around the Sean Payton play calling slash Jameis Winston, you know, uh, conversation. Does Sean Payton trust Jameis Winston or is it just a lack of familiarity like like I'm trying to exude. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to watch, and there's going to be a lot of little graphics that are coming to come up about it, and, you know, the, the broadcast is going to lean into it and all these other things. So it'll be really interesting to see that storyline either strengthen or my expectation is, uh, you know, that if the Saints win this game, then that storyline very quickly goes away. Okay. And lastly, before we get out of here, what is one key to victory? I think protecting Jameis Winston is obvious, so I'll mention it. But the key that I'm going to go with is winning on first and second down. So New Orleans Saints are one of the teams in the NFL. They run the sixth most on first and 10. They throw at the 30th or, or excuse me, at the 32nd mark when it comes to uh, so last in the NFL in terms of how often they throw on first and 10. You look at second and 10 uh, because sometimes for the Saints, they don't pick up enough yardage on that first down. Um, they average about 3.89 yards per carry on first and 10. So if you look at them in terms of passing on second and eight, they're right around the middle of the pack. Passing on second and nine, they're 31st. Passing on second and 10, they're 32nd. And the thing that makes that really hard is that if you're the if you're the team that is last in terms of passing play calls on second and 10, and you're running the ball, but you're only at, but you're averaging less than three yards per carry when running the ball. That puts you in third and eight, third and seven situations where the Saints have struggled. So I think winning on, which by the way, they average about two, a little bit under three yards per carry when they run on second and ten. So I think winning on first and second downs will allow them to get to a position to where these third downs get a little bit more manageable. They're six in the NFL right now in terms of converting third downs. I believe it's 44.7%. The Washington football team last in the NFL on defense on third downs, allowing over 56%, if I'm remembering correctly, to be converted. Uh, so that puts the Saints in a really good position, but they need to not shoot themselves in the foot by giving themselves third and long. So in order to do that, they'll need to win and produce, not get behind schedule on first and second down. 
now before we get out here, I just want to say thank you. I know I told you before we got mm -hmm. on, thank you, and I appreciate it, but I want to tell you again, thank you for coming on the show. I hope that we can do this again at some point throughout this season and hopefully after a victory. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to talk to you after a win, for sure. <laughs> that would be but nice. no, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love all the work that you do. I appreciate you having my boy uh, Dylan on as well. Such a fun episode to listen to. Like, I, I love the Trotter Show and love to everybody. And uh, in my opinion, more people need to be showing you love. So I'm going to start making sure that that happens. And I greatly appreciate that. I appreciate the compliment. I appreciate the effort. Until the next time, y'all know the drill. Run it back. It's been Darian Gray, the mouth of the South. Benny, blessed.